Hello and welcome to the Trailbusters podcast, where we talk everything outdoors and adventures. I'm Ethan. I'm Bing. And I'm Will. In this week, we're going to be talking about a recent trip that Bing and Will did in the Highland Backpacking Trail in Algonquin Park. I'm pretty sure Bing was the the first one to kick off the, the trip with a solo day the first day. I think um, the original plan was for us to get out there for four nights, um, but, you know, plans changed. Will had to bail last minute, so but I decided to go by myself anyway. Um, I think that was a good choice for me. And I had it already planned out that I had the day off. So, no, it was it was good. I haven't uh, done a solo um, in a while. So I had to get new equipment. Uh, I got a new burner, which was great. Uh, packing cool. was interesting. Uh, I think it overloaded on snacks again. Uh, so mm-hmm. heavy pack. Uh, but I think I learned from last time and this time what to pack in terms of food uh because i think i overpacked on food again but um yeah yeah i think going up there like the highlands trail was is um pretty casual but can be rough at times but the first the first night the first day in uh was pretty chill i mean the sites were about 5k so it's a good good casual hike into the lake um this was called provoking lake right so yeah yeah, a pretty pretty chill hike in there. Met a couple of people on the way. In fact, there's this lovely couple. I think they were car camping. They were hiking on as well. They saw my straps were not pulled tight. And they're like, hey, <laughs> your straps, you should pull on them. I didn't know this. I think I, I, I thought I strapped everything down. And I just reached to my back and pulled on two straps uh, on the top. And it just made everything so much easier. I'm like, oh, Wow, nice. That was uh, embarrassing. <laughs> um, now, were, were they like external tra- straps or like chest or shoulder straps or something? There were external straps that strapped from the top of the pack to the, um, I guess, the two straps going around your arms. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So that was that was to keep your basically the top part of your pack to your back. Uh, so mm-hmm. once I pulled that, it made everything taut and tidy. Uh, so everything's more balanced. And I found that very helpful. But yeah, I got to the, the campsites. There were 11 campsites to choose from because I remember going to site 11 first. Um, it was the worst site, by the way. So if you get to the Provoking West, don't go to site 11. It was very bad. But I did walk around and found a very nice peninsula um, out into the lake. Uh, kind of set camp there and just pretty much chilled the entire day. Uh, looked for some firewood, found this nice bonsai-looking tree. I gotta show you a picture sometime, uh, but it was uh, very inspiring. <laughs> but and, and the dates cleared up, so overall, pretty chill first night in. Maybe we can throw that picture up on uh, the Instagram account. Yeah, for sure. Remind me again, what was the plan for this trip? Was this a multi-night at the same spot, or were you guys doing a loop and... Did the change of plans change that loop at all? Yeah, the plans I don't think ever changed. Um, it was supposed to be two nights at Provoking West. It's supposed to be a pretty chill trek in. Uh, so, you know, just to recalibrate yourself for the loop uh, ongoing. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think the plan ever changed. It was just mainly scheduling that changed a little bit. But I kept to the original one. Um, and was it just the two of you? I remember at one point hearing that. Um, didn't you have a friend who might be going well? My partner's brother joined us on uh, the third day. I guess that's kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Yeah. So the first night finding firewood was interesting. So the campsites actually had a couple of 
I guess donor logs. I guess the previous guys who were staying there uh, left a bunch of logs. I'm like, oh, jackpot, because like it was hard to find firewood. Everything was like kind of groomed and cleaned up. I had the knife that you recommended on me at all times, uh, so, you know, just <laughs> in case I need to fight off some animals and chop some firewood. Finding firewood was tough, but I had some donor ones on the site, so getting the fire going was um, was quite straightforward you know dry grass nice. pine cones and whatnot and good to go i haven't personally tried with that knife but have you tried doing any batoning to split any firewood up uh batoning as in chopping vigorously so uh batoning <laughs> is a technique to be able to split and break down wood if you want to bring like a large fixed blade knife uh with a sturdy handle instead of uh and just use that for everything as opposed to bringing in a heavier hatchet Essentially, what you do is you start the blade into the wood so that it's like you hold the piece of wood up like you're splitting it like you would with an axe, and then you chop the knife into the top of it kind of perpendicular to the wood. Then you hold the handle and take another large piece of wood and slam on the back of the knife between your Mm, hand and the piece of wood to like knock it through the wood. It should be good with most fixed blades. I haven't tried it with that Gerber survival knife. I have the Bear Grylls branded one. I think you have the non-branded one. Yeah, I have the Peasants generic one. But I think it's the same knife. Um, But I've, I've always wondered about that because one of the downsides for that with that knife, I think, is the tip of it is a regular blade and then the bottom part is serrated. Yeah. And that hybrid combo can be good for additional functionality of like cutting rope and stuff, but it also, it's not very good for batoning and you'll kind of ding that part of the knife up, I think, if you use it for that. And then that serrated part's much harder to keep sharp after that. So I've always kind of wondered about it Um, because you need a good solid knife. And I think otherwise that knife would be a perfect fit for it. Yeah, that's very interesting because I thought about doing that. I've seen people doing it before, but I never came across because, well, I just had good logs from the beginning, so I just mm-hmm. didn't really, really need it to. I think the only time where I need to chop some, some firewood is I just kind of went at it as if it was an axe, chopping down a tree type of thing. So, you know, going in at an angle and just, you know, wailing at it. And that worked for the most part. Mm-hmm. I think that's the extent of me trying to split wood of it. Interesting fact as well. I did your method of the bear bags, getting a carabiner and tying the rope around the stick and having that kind of not slip oh, through nice. it. I can't remember which hang, what the name of that one is. There's there's a East Coast and a West Coast one, and I can't remember which one that is. That might be the PCT one, right? It might be. It's the one that only needs a single branch. If we haven't already talked about this on the show, uh, what you do is you throw a line over a branch um, and have one end connected to your bear bag with a carabiner, and then the loose end, you slide back through that carabiner and pull the bag up until it hits the branch as high up as you can get it. And then as high up on the branch as you can, you tie in a stick or something so that when you let it down, it catches on the carabiner about halfway. Um, I forget the exact name of that knot, uh, but it's a standard, like, it's like a straight knot or something like that. Um, But it's a good very good knot for being able to tie something like a stick in the middle of a piece of rope without having like the knot twist and the stick go flying out yeah but the whole idea is then the bags up in the tree and to get it down you pull the loose end back down take the stick out and then let your end up so the bag will come down yeah so that's pretty much the first night uh pretty chill the second morning i went out to I guess the east side, there was a lookout over there, actually. That was an easy hike up there. The lookout was amazing. It was a bit gloomy in the morning, but it was just uh, an easy kind of morning hike over there. And yeah, 
took a nice view, you know, took some pictures and everything I should show you too, and kind of waited for Will uh, at that point. What was breakfast like? Do you guys do coffee? I always do Canton oh, dude, coffee. Like ever since you introduced me to that Starbucks instant coffee, I was t- mm-hmm. I, I had to get it for camping. Because that's the closest like I've come to to instant coffee tasting like coffee as well. I watched a lot of instant coffee reviews on YouTube and kind of obsessed over that a little bit. Um, a lot of people seem to agree that that was a very good bang for your buck. Yeah, compared to a lot of the other instant coffees. But Will one upped everything and brought an actual espresso maker, which he'll talk about later on, and that kind of uh, nice. changed the game a little bit. Nice. Well, speaking of Will, how was your first day on the trail? Good. I left Toronto around noon, so I didn't get to the trailhead till around three thirty. Weather was good. I had got a new, two new bits of hiking gear that I was really excited to try out. The first one was a new backpack. I got a newer model Arc'teryx, a sixty-five liter, and it's like their anti-grav design. And I got a Camelback, like a proper one that fit really well in my bag. Nice. So um, yeah, packing was kind of fun. I got some like nice treats. I uh, got us some, well, my like favorite food thing that I packed were some sausage rolls that I got from a deli. And those turned out to be really delicious and fun to cook over the fire. And uh, yeah, packed a lot of food, a lot of good snacks and um, some tarping because there's some rain in the forecast uh, tent and um, Tenace's alcohol stove that I, I brought <laughs> to some other trips. That's kind of fun, but a little Dude, that's clunky. an intense stove. Nice. That's yeah. the one we brought uh, winter camping, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's You can hear all about the adventures of that and us almost causing an explosion <laughs> when we put our fire in a hole Yeah. Um, in the winter camping episode. Uh, um, just look back in our back catalog if you haven't already listened. I, I like it. It's fun to use. It's great for car camping. It's okay for backpacking. It's kind of hev- on the heavier side, to be honest, compared to like the, like the, the comparison for me is between Bing's really nice propane camping stove and the alcohol stove. I think Bing yours is, was brand new, right? You, you had just got that. Yeah, that I just right? got that. I mean, it's pretty much like you twist on, twist on the butane can and you just hit the switch to ignite. That's it. What stove did you end up going with? By the way, Bing, we skipped over that. Yeah, I just went for the generic Canadian Tire, like Woods one. The MSR ones and the, the JetBurner ones, I, they were out of stock for some reason. So I just kind of went for the generic you know, Canadian Tire one. Canadian Tire is uh, pretty good for a lot of that stuff, though. Also, I was considering the fuel choices as well. Because for some reason, like Mac and Sporting Life just didn't have the right fuel for those other brands. And Canadian Tire just had their fuel readily available. So that was also a consideration. Yeah, but there's a pretty strong like juxtaposition between the alcohol stove and Bing stove because like Bing stove, you plug it in, you basically like hit a button, you, you like turn a little dial and you hit a button and then you have fire. The alcohol stove, you have to like you take it apart, you assemble it. There's like a lot of parts to it, and then you you pour the alcohol that you have in like a little water bottle into the like funnel thing of it, and then you take your lighter and you have to kind of like get the lighter in there. And sometimes there's like alcohol along the rim or something. It'll just kind of catch oh, and dude. it's a little terrifying. <laughs> it did caught, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's never that dangerous really because it burns off. Like you wouldn't want it on your hands, but like if it gets on like a, the ground or something, it's not like a fire hazard, but it just feels like more manual. Anyway, we have way more to talk about than the alcohol stove, but... Yeah, maybe we can do a future segment. If, if listeners are interested, let us know. We can do a whole segment about different types of stoves. Yeah. Again, that's another thing I've obsessively researched, so I know a ton of pros and cons of different stoves. 
Yeah, I, I'm definitely in the market for a new stove after this trip. I, I, I like Teddy's one, but I think for like most trips, I'd, I'd probably use that for car camping and then bring a more like camp the backpacking style one like being had so mm-hmm. i would have pick your braid ethan we can talk about that in a future episode mm-hmm. yeah help will buy a new stove <laughs> that's that'd a be a good one idea yeah i like yeah. that uh i also brought this like uh two liter camelback and let me just say i am never going back to like not having a camelback i love it it's i've always brought like a reservoir like a couple liter bag um, I found it useful for making camp and a nice way to like, if you don't want to pump too much or, or whatever, and you don't mind hauling a little extra weight, sometimes for shorter trips, it's fine to carry your water, but the Camelback's just like way nicer. It fits better into your bag. And then having that water like on demand was really nice. Um, but yeah, I'd hiked into this site before actually, um, last year when we did our backpacking trip on the other trail. Uh, the western what is it called uplands so i had actually hiked in and out of that site Mm -hmm. not not the exact site but like the sister site provoking west already so i knew the trail i knew what to expect and it's really nice it's you go up a bit but it's fine like being said it's pretty casual like 5k or so got to meet up with bing we had a lovely time chatting and i went for a swim the water was really nice i swam out to this little island in the middle of the lake uh, and there was like a geocache full of like photos. And what it looks oh, like cool. is like they had left like a disposable camera in the geocache and people would take photos themselves and they would develop the photos and put them back in. So there's like tons of photos of just like random people. It's kind of cool. And um, little notebooks where people had written notes and just random little bric-a-brac. But it was kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And then we'd, we had a fire that night. And uh, Bing and I were using this. We didn't bring a hatchet or a saw, and we didn't try that baton style of cutting things. (laughs) So we we did this thing where we uh, made a fire, and then we found this really big log, like tree. (laughs) uh, (laughs) It was a fallen tree. Basically, a fallen tree. (laughs) And we put it into the um, fire and like kind of just like let the fire be our saw and like slowly inch the log in, which I think is a pretty like common approach but not yeah, i've done that before yeah it's not too wild but it worked really well for us and i think you know better to have a hatchet or a saw in the long run because you can't really build a good of a fire with that but it works yeah. in a pit it just looked really yeah. funny having that giant log stick out of a fire pit and you're just kind of slowly feeding it in yeah i think i think the things you've just got to be careful of and mindful of when doing something like that is that you get something big enough that it's not going to burn too quickly to control since it's out of the fire yeah but with like a big log or something that's not as big of a deal and the only other thing you got to watch out for is making sure you can either burn the whole thing or have a good way to put out the end which if there's plenty of it left you can just even jab it at the ground a little bit yeah yeah that's what that's what we did we kind of just jacked it up from the ground and i poured some water just for safe measure as well so yeah Mm -hmm. we we were in a pretty like not fire hazard conditions like we were always pretty close well we always camped on lakes and though the things weren't too dry but yeah we were careful for sure it's important to be careful yeah we ate well we had a lot of instant noodles a lot of snacks but yeah the first day in was chill uh, the second day, so we camped out, saw the stars, had a nice fire, went to bed pretty early. We woke up early, I guess, probably not quite with a light. I was pretty tired, um, but we got up and uh, made up camp, got ready to go, and then we started heading out. And uh, I think this trip, uh, I'm curious, Bing, how did it compare to the hiking you did in the uh, uplands with Ethan? So the up the uplands were 
kind of interesting because we thought it was mainly logging trails, but then it turned out to be not. And there was a、mm-hmm. lot of different marshes and swamps and bridges that we had to cross, and some interesting terrain. Lots of mud. Lots of mud for sure. I、Very、think for this one.、Mud. For this one, it was more well-groomed trails, but the elevation changes, like ups and downs. I think this one had a mo- much more ups and downs.、Um, yeah, these ups and downs were more predictable, whereas the upland ones were like, oh, go up the side of a cliff, and you had to kind of figure out this stone puzzle to get up there. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, this one's more predictable for sure. This trip definitely, like, kind of on that point of like the ups and downs. This trip definitely cemented in my mind that the Algonquin and this like Northern Ontario landscape in general is really a canoeing landscape. Like, there's a reason that you know there's、yeah. there are like I guess what three big backpacking loops, but so much of the camping, so much of the activities in Algonquin is canoe based because when you're backpacking, you're going. First of all, the ground's really stony, and there's lots of like scrambling up rocks or going along like very rocky creek beds. But there's also just a lot of up and down because there's these these like glacial glacial lakes. So like it's just a lot of like you're walking down into like the what used to be like an ancient lake bed and is now like forest. You walk down to the lake bed, you walk for a while, then you walk out of that lake, climb up, up, up to get to the top, and then back down again right away. So it's just a very like rough landscape. And there's a lot of up and down, and so that translates to some like pretty heavy duty exertion when you're going backpacking. And I, I found the hike out on the Saturday wasn't that long. I think it was probably about 12 kilometers. Was it, would you say, Bing? Is that probably what it was? Yeah, I think it was around 12 to the next site, which is Harness Lake. Yeah, 12 to Harness, and pretty hilly. And、uh, like I said, a lot of scrambling. Like Bing said, a lot of like rock puzzles and.、Um, Very physical hiking. Like I was pouring sweat by the end of it, really feeling it in my、yeah. legs. I was still getting my legs under me. You know, like that first day of like real hiking, it's always a bit of a shock for me, and my body needs like a bit of time to adjust. But、um, we made it in good time. So yeah, no, it was really good. You know the、um, the lookout that we stopped at. It was a great lookout, but there was nothing to look out、uh, at. Yeah, onto. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> it was on the map. It was like, oh, a lookout. Wow. And you go there, and there's like a, a like a line of trees had grown that pretty much just cover like a fence, anything that you'd see. So all you could <laughs> see is like the sky and the tops of these trees that might be like a couple yards away.、So、I think at one point it was a lookout, but it had, it had been obliterated by growth. So yeah, yeah. So it's um interesting actually, Ethan. And I think you kind of experienced it this time around, where you experienced it last time, is that my water filter started to feel cloggy once we got to like near harness. Yeah.、Um, mm. I think、uh, I had an okay time pumping water at the lake before harness called Head Lake, and then I gave it to Will to pump his own water, and he had a rough time. So I think it started to clog up there and. To to what you said before, like it just might be like there's a lot of stuff in this lake, in these lakes. Yeah. Overall, once we got to harness and I was trying to fill up for dinner, like it got really hard to pump. Like nothing was getting through. The flow rate was like abysmal, and I opened up the filter to try to clean it.、Uh, I didn't get a scrubbing pad. I forgot to bring a scrubbing pad. They recommend to use it, but I tried my best to kind of you know, wring it out and whatever. But yeah, it, it was clogged. What、uh, what kind of filter did you get? 
Uh, I got the uh, MSR one, the one with the hand pump that you just screw on top of the Nigene bottle or any kind of wide mouth bottle. And it worked really well. Uh, it was all air pressured inside and yeah, the ceramic filter one. Mm-hmm. I wonder, um, did you use it on any like low lying water, like any rivers or anything like that where more sediment would kick up? I mm-hmm. wonder if that's the play area we're failing with these. Maybe. No, it was just generally lakes the side of the lakes hmm. i don't think i use it in any kind of rivers or streams or what anything like that there, there must just be a lot of sediment in there i wonder um if any listeners have any tips on how to avoid this or better water filters for this type of situation i keep meaning to try out some different water filters like maybe the sawyer squeeze has a pretty good reputation right. as being something that you can use as um hang filtration where you hang the dirty water bag and put it in line to a clean water bag yeah. and have it gravity filter uh you can put it in a a dirty water bag and roll the bag to push water through it and it'll work that way you can even take especially if you get there there's a really mini one i've heard of people only keeping a dirty water bag and they use it like a bladder within their own backpack but in the tube to the mouthpiece they put the filter in line there so as you drink it pulls the dirty water through the filter and by the time it gets to you it's clean um, so those can be interesting. What? Yeah, I think these um, are so cool. Uh, I just googled the Sawyer squeeze. Nuts. <laughs> yeah, I've heard really great things about those, and there are a few others, but that's one of the big name ones. Yeah, and there are a few different lines too of different sizes, and they. I think basically the smaller you go, the easier it is to carry, but also like the slower it is and the faster it'll clog and need to be uh, cleaned or changed out. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm a fan of the the gravity one, uh, but it just takes up a lot of space for sure. A lot of filters have some way that you're supposed to occasionally on longer trips. I forget exactly what it's called. You you reverse the flow to push sediment out of the filter, and I forget the exact terminology mm, for that. And I've never taken the time to figure out how to do that. If you can do it with mine, I don't even know if it would be possible. But essentially, um, you would put take some of the clean water you have and put it through in reverse to basically push some of that debris out of your filter. And I don't know if all can do it or just some, I know it's a big thing with the Sawyer ones is you can just force water the opposite way. And that's an interesting way to clean it. Actually, this one, they recommend, it doesn't give you a full clean. It just kind of gives you a little bit more life. Right. This one recommends you scrub down the ceramic with a scrubbing pad and you know for storage they recommend you boiling it for five minutes and letting it dry um so this is an interesting filter yeah it really highlights how important it is to have like a backup water filtration plan yeah i feel like if you rely on one pump between a group of people like i think it's fine i don't know i I think if you're solo backpacking it's probably good to have tablets always have like tablets in your pocket just in case um, but yeah, especially with a group of people, like if we had just had Bing's filter, we wouldn't, we would have been kind of in a bad way. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the main issues we ran into on the other trip after you left, Will, uh, was we, we did have that issue of, we didn't have another pump. We did have tablets, but there was not a, a enjoyable way to get water without sediment into the water bottle to then treat with the tablets because the pump was gone. Yeah. Yeah, you, you definitely need a backup. One, one question that kind of came up for me on that trip. So I always have just used the pump filtration as my only defense against bug like stuff in the water. 
And when Tom arrived that night, Saturday night, he was like really skeptical of the whole pump thing and thought that the only way to be safe was to use tablets. But I, I'm pretty sure most folks I camp with only use the pump or like filter-based filter based like water cleaning approach. But I've yeah. heard that you could to be extra careful, you can boil water. Yeah. Boiling would for sure get rid of all of it. There are a bunch of different things you can do. I don't know if you remember Bing, but when we went on our Algonquin trip, uh, my friend Mark that was with us, he is also a little bit skeptical of using a single yeah. method. So I think he was using the pump and the tablets that time. And, and the UV last time light, I went I think, on a trip right? with him. Um, he, I think he had it. I don't know if he used it all the time, but, or maybe he was using that instead of tablets, but I know, um, he typically in past trips I've been on with him, will use the pump and then the UV light as well, which is, it's one of those stary pens where it's, um, you press a button and a UV light turns on and you basically stir your water with it and the UV light should kill off any remaining bacteria and it, you just stir until the light turns off on a timer. I feel like maybe it's better to have two methods. I think so. I think having a backup is, would be nice. I didn't think like our trip will clog up the pumps that bad, but it kind of did. So I'm glad, I'm glad you had a backup. I think having a backup is a very good call for a trip. I think it's another question on whether or not you need to use two filtration methods. I personally don't in the places that I've been, but there are definitely places that I would be more inclined to do something like mm -hmm. that if I was more nervous of the water supply. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, like if sure. I was in South America or like the rainforest, I'd be even like more keen to... Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. Anyway, uh, back to our day two. I think once we got to harness, like Will said, we were all sweaty and stinky and all that. And we immediately just dropped our bags and jumped into the lake. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. The lake was like really, really shallow, like up to your knees for and, and for a ways. Like you could waddle out for like, I don't know, we didn't really get to a deep section of it. We went out a few yards but it was like kind of rocky so it's sort of awkward but the water temperature was perfect mm. and we were pretty sore because like i said it was a lot of like pushing up hills and down hills and up hills again so by the end of the day like we were feeling pretty good but we got there at like two or even maybe a little earlier and um yeah something like we that we spent like an probably an hour just like floating <laughs> and sitting Dude, we like we spent a, yeah we got spent a good amount of time i think i kind of found a good rock a good sitting rock in the lake it was pretty chill until leeches started to eat at me uh, yeah <laughs> it was just like slimy stuff like biting me i'm like oh what is this thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i didn't get any leeches but i definitely started worrying about the sun because i had a bad burn earlier this summer and i was like i'm not gonna risk it <laughs> well, you you had that just a couple weeks ago on your bike yeah, trip, didn't you? Yeah, I had basically just recovered from that, so I didn't want to like, yeah, get burnt again. So get your your bronze on. <laughs> just skin cancer. If you haven't already listened, our last two episodes highlight Will's bike trip, and you'll hear more about that burn. Yeah, <laughs> learn all about my skin cancer. I'm I'm sure to get it after too much more of this lack of basic sun safety. But yeah, we we definitely hung out in the water, set up camp. Got a lot of firewood. It was easy. Like these old pine forests, there's always like tons of brush. Yeah. Dude, you found another giant log. Did a log thing again. Um, to feed. Yeah. Did the old <laughs> log log trick. And then our friend Tom arrived. He got in kind of later. He had hiked the whole thing in a day. So 5K, 12K. But he, he did a kind of a zigzagging path, uh, sort of like an S shape. He went up the west end and then cut through the middle and then up the east end. Um so basically found a way that actually 
I think is was considerably was shorter and easier than what uh, Bing and I did on our hike to Harness. Yeah. He, it's interesting. He's definitely not spending a lot of money on like newer or like he was really good at like making do and using like household things as like water bottles. Instead of analogy, and he used old like vinegar bottles, which I didn't think of this, but they're made out of like a harder plastic. So they work really well as water bottles, for example. So I thought he had an interesting approach to camping, like definitely more like um, no frills and um he yeah but he was able to cover way more distance like he he hiked more in a more condensed fashion than we did right because we had that extra 5k start um but and he's also in good shape he's like a he's pretty fit guy so he was able to do that pretty well he got in definitely a bit late and i think it was a bit of a big day for him because the next day he started getting we all started falling apart on the last (laughs) next day we all started to get a little sore (laughs) he had some kind of his Achilles tendon got tight and cramped up. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a nice night. That'll, that'll happen on rough up and down yep. terrain. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It definitely did. Like I was fine. I think I was doing the best, which is unusual. I, I'm often not like the hardiest of campers, but um, Bing, you, you got, you were really feeling it in your quads and your hammies. I remember. Yeah. Like, yeah, my, my legs were pretty shot, and I didn't have confidence in my, my descents either, so I had to take that slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the thoughts that really struck me was some folks we met on the trail, what they had done is you can portage to Harness, where we camped the second night, and it's it's a bit of a portage, but it's not terrible. And once you're there, you can set up camp, and then you can use a base camp, and you can hike in the backcountry on these harder-to-access trails. So that struck me as a really cool way of like combo canoe, backpack, camping, hiking, getting out pretty deep and like doing some actual hiking while you're canoeing. But like being using the canoe as a way to like get to trails you wouldn't normally be able to get at as easily. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really mm-hmm. interesting thing as like a, a cool way of like approaching that landscape and a way of like opening up and unlocking a lot more interesting adventures. Because like just canoeing maybe after a while, like that's fun, but it's also really fun to hike. And one thing that sucks about backpacking is carrying all that weight. Well, you don't have to carry any weight if you're using a base camp approach, and the canoe lets you base camp further yeah. afield. So I thought that was kind of neat. It was it was it was crazy because like when we run into these people, we're like, "Hey, you're doing the entire loop in a day. You don't have anything on you," and, <laughs> and we're so shocked. Yeah, I was like, "Are you running it?" And some people did. We later met. Um, we didn't, but Tom ran into a woman who had run the whole like 36k loop in a day is pretty epic it it's that's scary to me like just thinking about camping like or the backpacking trip we did like if you tripped and fell and like hurt your knee or your leg or something which is very easy to do these aren't like easy to navigate trails you could end up in a really difficult situation like it's there's definitely some risk yeah to that. yeah especially not having that extra gear um because i mean that's that's one thing that as soon as you said that it reminded me of a story of a coworker of mine from a couple jobs ago and he was fortunate enough to have like gear and food and stuff which helped but um, he did a lot of solo portaging in i think the algonquin area but he would do these longer portage like sometimes week-long trips by himself and uh there was one time where um, and it's the reason he always recommended bringing a gps with an emergency thing on it was because near the end of his trip he fractured his leg like, broke his leg couldn't walk on it and still had to f- 
finish portaging out. Oh my god! And, and managed to do it, but I don't think that would have been a very pleasant trip. I can't imagine being a like a ultra marathoner where you've prepared because you can run this loop in a reasonable enough time to not really need the same kind of multi-day supplies getting like halfway through and having an issue that would i wonder if there's ways that they prepare for that it strikes me as just terrifying to think about some of the ways things can go wrong yeah i I, i'd be curious to know there are like yeah, like you mentioned, like tracking and GPS devices that can help with some of that risk. But but anyway, um, jumping back to um, Tom's gear setup, one thing I wanted to ask, I know a lot of through hikers and stuff will use things like disposable water bottles instead of um, a Nalgene or a bladder or something like that because um, those lighter weight plastics, if especially if you're like reusing it, um, they might not last as long like for years of backpacking but for a few week trip you get a lighter water bottle so a lot of people use like smart water and bottles and stuff because those are a little bit thicker i think a little bit more rigid Um, did it with his equipment did it seem like it was more thrifty in nature or more weight savings or maybe a bit of both like would you imagine his gear was ended up being lighter than yours or was it just like a trade-off in approach of you know how much money you're investing into backpacking that's a good question do you have any perspective on it Bing? I, i'd say definitely thrifty yeah, yeah. what are your thoughts being like did he, i didn't weigh his bag it looked overpacked it looked <laughs> it looked like he had a bit it, of a mountain did. of a bag on him but he managed it fine so i think mm-hmm. he packed he did pack a lot of food though so that's the thing yeah I don't think, like, I think we are all kind of subjected to this, is that we don't really pack our bags efficiently. We kind of just stuff everything in there, and there's probably gaps and stuff like that in there. Um, but I would say he has the essentials, but not, like, like very like basic essentials that will get him by, uh, but not, like, optimized. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting juxtaposition of, like, it's easy to get in a mentality, you know, like with us, we talk a lot about camping and we think a lot about it and yeah. we research gear and we have this really sense of like what's optimal maybe or like what we think is best. But like it seemed like, you know, he brought like, for example, he brought like a garden saw. A garden saw. Yeah, it was it great. Was great. <laughs> we got more logs. Yeah, it was so <laughs> handy. Like it was great. I wouldn't have thought of that. It's just like a tool from the tool shed and like it worked fine. So I think he was like, it was very practical. I, I, I appreciated it. It was kind of Zen or like basic, like basic in the sense of like um, no frills. Like that's it. That's what it comes to mind. Like it, it worked. It worked for what he needed. And I, I agree with being like a longer trip might be a bit harder perhaps, but you know, he's also in really good shape and that gives you, that gets you pretty far too. So yeah. I think that that comes down to um, you don't really need to spend all the money on all the gear. And I think going into an outfitter or an equipment shop can kind of overwhelm you with wanting to buy all the cool camping gadgets, um, whereas you don't really need to. Um, and another thing and kind of a reason I've asked this is I've noticed also a trend in ultralight backpacking where some of the gear is more expensive to shave weight to get like an ultralight backpack you end up paying more for a backpack that's probably not going to be as comfortable but is saving you on pounds um and is going to be you know uh, less less durable cost more but it's going to save you a noticeable amount of weight when you get down to shaving ounces and things like that but the other side of that is there are a lot of 
ultralight hacks to doing things that end up kind of cost cutting um, and being a little bit more thrifty because you're because there's less of a market for that super ultralight range a lot of that stuff is kind of like diy and take some material and make it work like um, the things that come to mind are the plastic water bottles or um, those aluminum can stoves where you take the two bottom halves of aluminum cans and put them together with some holes to make an alcohol stove those end up being ultra light and they make them like super small super light super efficient and you make it out of two old aluminum cans and some tape <laughs> and like a nail to poke holes. <laughs> so, I mean, some of that stuff ends up being super light too. So you can really make a lot of stuff work. Um, it's always interesting seeing yeah, stuff like that. It definitely, I, I appreciate it a lot. I, I, I like the innovativeness and like the, you know, simplicity of it and just not making, you know, it, I think sometimes like it's easy to get into a mindset where like you need to have the, th- the latest thing from mech in order to do the backpack like you have to have an, a stove that looks like this and you have to have the, you know all these things and it's just like the wrong approach getting back to basics and just like making do the the three of us are also you know come from a very privileged point we, we have the means to be able to buy into more of that advanced equipment and hopefully that doesn't bleed too much into the opinions um and like discouraging anyone from getting out there i think the other side of that is always you can get out there. And we've tried to stress that in some past episodes, but um, that might get lost sometimes. Yeah, definitely. The gear is fun. And like, I'm I'm into it. Like, I love finding new things and, and stuff like that. Um, but the real joy of camping is, um, you know, staring up at the stars on the beautiful night and listening to the campfire and the bugs and just being the only person you know besides you and your buddies in like a huge area like roasting roasting sausages over a campfire like just that piece of it Mm -hmm. and that's really what this trip like hammered home for me was like i love this stuff (laughs) like like it was horrible like i I was so sore at the end of it and it was exhausting (laughs) and i was sweating and like the, the day the hike out we decided to kind of like book it for the exit instead of camping through some rain yeah it was it was interesting like once we got to the, the so the hike to the next site, um, so harness to provoking east was supposed to be around um, 13 to 15k. Uh, so when we got to the campsites, like you guys found one, but it was pretty crappy and it started to rain. Um, so we're trying to find more and they were, they were pretty scattered out campsites. so that was the, that was the issue as well. So there was no guarantee that another campsite would pop up. Um, but in order to find a better one, uh, we decided to take that risk. Of course, you know, nothing opened up. <laughs> and when we got signal to check out like the forecast for the next morning, what the night's going to look like, how we're going to make a fire and all that stuff, all that's that consideration going into this the, to make the decision to go out. Yeah. I think that was a good choice for us to kind of just hike the additional 5k to get out. Yeah, it, it was kind of a no-brainer. Like, one, one of the things that I, I don't love about the Algonquin Park reservation system is that when you reserve a site, you reserve, like, one of a group of sites. And this is something we've talked about before, and I'm sure there's reasons for the way it is. But um, the result of it is, like, you're hiking through, like, a string of sites. And if you see an open site, you can take it or you can kind of gamble and be like, uh, maybe we'll find a better one. 
And like, depending on how early you left, how fast you've been hiking, if there's other access to the sites that you're going for, you may end up having to hike back, you know, or some of the sites are off of side trails. So you have to hike down the side trails, which can be exhausting when you're tired at the end of a long trip. And so like, it creates mm-hmm. this element of like, A, uncert- like when you plan the number of K you're going to be hiking that day, you always have to include the possibility that you don't end up finding a site until the last site. Like that's always a chance, right? And then, you know, the likelihood of that happening varies. For us, we hiked past like several like truly atrocious campsites where the trail was literally between the campfire and the tent area. Oh, yeah. And um, we were like, nah, nah, nah. And then we got to like the end of it and we realized we'd have to either double back and hike like 2K or hike like maybe 5K to the parking lot. We're like, okay, well, this is kind of an easy one. There's rain coming, you know, like being said. So we headed out, but just despite like all the pain and like physical, you know, it was exhausting and a lot of up and down and my feet were pretty darn sore at the end of it. Like we hiked out on some, like an old bike trail and it was a much harder turf. And I remember my feet just aching and thinking like, like I'm, I am ready to be home. <laughs> um, uh, but I still, I loved it so much. I just, I'm just thinking like, how do I get out again as soon as possible? Yeah, exactly. I wonder if we can book like another one for the end of the month. I bet we could. Yeah, I, I want to do the Massasaga. I'm thinking I've been looking into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to try it a different park. Try some portaging. But yeah, well, that was pretty much our trip. We kind of bailed our last night and hiked out. <laughs> overall, how would you how would you say that trip compared to um, compared to our last Algonquin trip um, last year? You know what's an interesting comparison, though? I think the last one was uh, a good a good trip to kind of see where you are in terms of limits. At the same time, it was actually a very good time during the year as well because I think that was at the end of September and the leaves started falling as mm-hmm. well. So the scenery was a lot more, yeah, it was a lot more beautiful, to be honest, uh, because everything was changing colors, uh, and then you had like the ground all covered in leaves and stuff like that. Uh, in Which terms came of, with its own challenges, but yeah, it comes with its own challenges. Because really you, can't nice really, you can't really see the trails <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Um, but I think overall, I, I like the upland um, trip a bit more, mainly because of kind of the scenic relief a little bit. This one has its own challenges, but I think the the campsites were very nice. Uh, I very I, I liked where we kind of stayed like the accommodations were great along the lake yeah i also share bing's feelings we hiked through a lot of the uplands has a lot more of these like leafy open kind of like maple forests i think you can see further through the woods and the light filters through the leads they're like brighter and a lot of our hiking in the highlands trail was through these pine forests which had a lot of like firewood and stuff but it was also like a bit more um densely packed and like your field of view is a little bit shorter Mm -hmm. and uh it just felt a little more like hemmed in and you didn't have as many of these like yeah like being said the sort of view was the views and the sort of visual wasn't as nice and i didn't do the as much hiking as you did but i found the backpacking loop that i did on the highlands trail this most recent one to be more demanding uh, than the what I did on the Uplands Trail, but that's probably because I literally hiked less. So this Highlands Trail, I think I'd rate it as like an intermediate. I think most people in reasonably good shape could do it in four days. Yeah, uh, for sure. The the loop you guys did on the Uplands was ambitious. I, I I don't think I'd say that 
I think most people in reasonably good shape could could couldn't do that. <laughs> the the uplands one was kind of rough, and and I'm I'm kind of surprised that Mark with his bummed knee actually made it out on that loop as well. Yeah, that was that was a tough trip. You guys can hear more about that, listeners, by jumping back to our um, previous Algonquin adventure episode from uh, last summer. But anyway, I think that's going to do it for us this episode. I'd like to take take some time to remind all of our listeners to subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about it um, if you haven't already. The more you spread the word of this podcast, the more listeners we can get, the more feedback we can get, the better we can make this show. If you have any suggestions for things you want us to talk about or questions, concerns, anything like that, you can reach us on all social media platforms um, or email us info at the trailbusters um thanks Therese, for the amazing intro and outro music and for the trailbusters i'm ethan i'm bing i'm will and we'll see you on the trail and that's a wrap <laughs>